Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Unheard, I'm Freddie Sayers. During this Russian invasion in Ukraine, there's been a lot of talk of other smaller states that might now be annexed into the Russian Federation. There's been talk of South Ossetia, which is now holding a referendum on whether it wants to rejoin Russia. There's talk of Transnistria and maybe Belarus and the Baltic countries. One political scientist and journalist has taken a different view his name is Sergei Sumleny. He is Russian-born but lives in Berlin. And he said recently on Twitter, and I'm reading this out, I think Russia will disappear or shrink to a Moscovy part, which is the same. We will see 10 to 15 independent states on the current territory of Russian Federation within the next three to five years, but most probably earlier. So he, in other words, says the opposite might happen. And instead of Russia, taking on additional territory might actually start to break up. He joins us from Berlin to tell us what he means. Hi, Sergei. Hello, and nice to meet you. Thank you for having invited me today. Let's start from the very basics, if we can. Just treat us as if we know nothing about the interior of Russia. I've got a map uh, up here showing all of the, I think there are 85 um, republics or territories that make up the Greater Russian Federation. Tell us the story and tell us what you think might happen with all of these different parts of the Russian Federation. What we need to know about Russia, that the ethnic character of Russian population is very different. And not, very, uh, not all the people who live in Russia are happy of being a part of Russia. So we always think about Russia like all this like traditional view, like great czars and the the uh, Leo Tolstoy war and peace and all these balls, etc. And that is what fascinates a lot of Germans. But uh, many people in Europe they completely ignore or don't know that um, Russian territory consists of many ethnic republics. Which are uh, which have different history, and now let me explain. So, if you look at the middle of Russia, like it's even not Siberia, it is before the Ural Mountains. You look at Tatarstan or Bashkortostan or Komi. All these regions were integrated into Russia, historically speaking, like the day before yesterday. It was like 16th century with Bashkortostan, it could be like 17th century. This region, which are pretty big, according to any European scale, like they have the size of Czech Republic or Slovakia, they have a pretty big population, like several million people each. They have uh, quite another language, 
they speak their local languages, which are vivid until now, despite of all attempts of Russian government to erase them. And they are mostly like either Turkish-based language or Finnish-based language like Komi. They have their religion, which differs from official uh, Moscow religions. They are not Orthodox. They are mostly, they're mostly either Muslims like Tatars and Bashkirs. Or they have their traditional uh, traditional religions like Komi. And they have a tradition, which is very important. They have a tradition of resistance against the Moscow rule. So if you look, for example, on Bashkortostan, Bashkortostan is officially, even legally in Russia, is the uh, is an independent state. They have their constitution, they have their president, which is called now governor, but uh, several years ago it was still called president. They have their Supreme Court, they have their uh, coat of arms, they have their flag, they have their national musical instrument, Kurai. They have a tradition of resistance against Russia. So if you remember uh, all the Russian uprisings of Russian serfs, of Russian peasants in the Russian Empire, the biggest one was the Pugachev uprising at the end of 18th century. And who were, who were the uh, biggest military supporters of Pugachev? It were Bashkirs, because Bashkirs were the best horse riders that time. So uh, Pugachev's uh, general for, for horse troops was Salavat Hilayev, who was a Bashkir. And in the Soviet time, uh, Soviets loved uh, Salavat Hilayev because they said, OK, that is a good Bashkir. He fought against Tsarism. He was the proto-communist. Of course, he was not. He was fighting against the Russian Empire. But the fact that his name was remembered created all the continuous mythos about the national resistance. And that's not all. Uh, in 19th century, it was in the Russian Empire, it was forbidden for Bashkirs to be blacksmith. Why? Because uh, Bashkirs used uh, to produce a lot of weapons to uprise against the, the Russians. So is the idea then that, you know, you've got the Stans, you've got Kazakhstan and Tajikistan and um, uh, that, those countries, you might just get a new country called Tatarstan yes, or, or Bashkostan appearing. Is that what you're suggesting might happen in the next three to five years? Uh, yes, that can be the case. And now let me explain why. If you look today, why do all these nations, why, let me say, like, Tatarstan is not independent, Bashkortostan is not independent, but Kazakhstan is independent. There is only one reason, because the, 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 the Kazakhstan was one of Soviet republics, and Tatarstan was a Soviet autonomic republic within the Russian Republic in the Soviet Union. So at the time when the Soviet Union split, uh, they didn't have, like, the last drop of legal reason to be separated. But now, when we imagine that Russian Federation will have problems which are identical to those which Soviet Union used to have that time, we can imagine that these republics will remember that in their constitutions, the Article 5 of each of those constitutions say the Republic of Tatarstan is an independent state within the Russian Federation. And they can proclaim independence. Now, are there yes. any leaders who are actually openly saying this, especially in the current climate, where dissent and speaking against the Russian government is punishable by imprisonment? Yes, exactly. That is a tricky point, because in Russian Federation, uh, any call 
or secession is a criminal offense, and you can be prosecuted for that. The problem is, in the Soviet Union, uh, any separatist movement was prosecuted exactly like that. Uh, they were prosecuted as nationalists and bourgeois nationalists. But the fact is that as soon as the centralist government is weak, the republics can remember, can, can think about being independent. And the Soviet Union had been killed by uh, a chain of unfortunate events which used to occur in the same time. It was the last Afghan war with 15,000 killed in action soldiers within 10 years. We have currently 17,000 Russian killed in action soldiers within only one month. It was the economic crisis, and we have currently economic crisis in Russia. And it was a very old and very incapable government uh, of the Soviet Union, like Gorbachev was just like the young exemption who, was, who had been put on the top of, of the uh, communist elite by other older guys because they realized that they are all too old to save the country. And what do we have now? We have Vladimir Putin, who rules Russia for 22 years without any stop, if we don't calculate the Medvedev, the Medvedev for years. And his elites are extremely old, like he's over 70, he's uh, chief of FSB, Secret Service, is of his age. His uh, foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, is one of the oldest bureaucrats in Russia, etc., etc. So the preconditions are very similar. And now we come to the tricky part. Who is currently dying in Ukraine for Russian empire, or for Putin greater plans? The national minorities are those who carry a lot of, 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 this, of this burden. If you look, for example, at the Astrakhan region in the southern Russia, that is the uh, northern part of the uh, Caspian Sea. Actually, Astrakhan, they have a border with Kazakhstan, and, but the region is pretty Russian-dominated. Russians have about like 80% of the population, Kazakhs about 15% of the population. Yeah, so Astrakhan was actually conquered at the same time by Russia as the Tatarstan. It was like the middle of 16th century. Like, but uh, in a difference to Tatarstan, which is up to now, Tatar dominated, Astrakhan is Russian dominated. Russians are about like 80% of the population. Kazakhs are about 14, 15% of the population. But if you look at killed in action uh, soldiers from Astrakhan region, you will see that the Russia is quite the opposite. 85% of soldiers. Russian soldiers who came from this region are ethnic Kazakhs. And is that a class thing? Is that because they tend to be poorer and tend to be conscripted into the... Exactly. Army? Exactly. Because in Putin's Russia, as it was in Soviet Union, ethnic minorities are people who live like very poor, who have lower career chances, who are despised as like low-class citizens. We even have situations when Russian police arrest people who look like like Asians or like not ethnic ethnic European Russians, you name all these racist racist terms. Uh, even when they have Russian passports, they want first to check if this Russian passport is not stolen. Like, is there any insult which can be higher than to question the nationality of your compatriot because he or she looks different? Just to get a sense, how much of the machinery of a miniature republic is there in Astrakhan? You talked about some of the other regions having supreme courts and presidents and 
And Astrakhan, Astrakhan, I would say Astrakhan will not be the one of the first regions who would split because of the uh, ethnic motives. But Astrakhan is a very good example because it is not minority dominated. It's a very good example who is dying in Ukraine now for Putin's interests. And if you think from this angle, you will understand that within one, two, three months, all the coffins which will arrive from Ukraine or information about the soldiers who have been killed in Ukraine will arrive first and foremost to ethnically dominated regions. When we look from this perspective, the local minorities in Bashkortostan, Tatarstan and other republics will ask them a question. Look, the central government is not that rich and powerful anymore to send the police forces and uh, suppress us. Our kids have died for Moscow interests. Our money is taken, don't you forget. All the resource-rich regions in Russia are ethnically dominated. You have oil in Tatarstan, you have oil in Bashkortostan, you have gas in Yakutia, you have diamonds in Yakutia, you have like you have fish in our Pacific region uh, territories. You don't have anything of that in Moscow. Like Moscow produces uh, nothing what Russia sells abroad. Russia doesn't sell uh, Moscow banking uh, to the EU. Russia doesn't sell uh, like what do they produce in Moscow? Russia sells gas, Russia sells oil, Russia sells diamonds, Russia sells like uh, aluminium, Russia sells nickel. It is all being produced in ethnic dominated republics. And they will, they will start to think, why do we produce money for Moscow? Why do our kids die for Moscow? But why Moscow budget is higher than the budget of any region and the budget of like 10 or 20 next rich regions is lower than the budget of Moscow. Okay, so let's, let's go with you on this thought experiment. What you're observing is that the current conditions are reminiscent of the final years of the Soviet era. There is a potentially embattled central government. Potentially there will be a kind of domino effect is what you're saying, where one region might split off and that might inspire others and it could be a, a, an effect that gets faster and faster. Give us a tour of this potential new world. I'd like to go around the map and for you to Tell us which you think are the most likely places to break away and what the big regions or countries of this broken up Russia might look like. So if you look uh, like uh, at the left third of the map, you will see a very uh, a small but very intensively uh, green spot. And on the right of it, you have the, 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 the dark blue spot. So this is exactly like this dark blue and the red under it. These are regions which I believe would split the first. They are Tatarstan and Bashkortostan. Because they have tradition of statehood, they have tradition of resistance, they're pretty big, they're economically developed, and uh, they, they have like the access to all the things which make a nation a nation. They have territory, language. If this happens, this can start a real separation. And just think about it. They split Russia directly in the middle, directly in the middle. And uh, to the north from them, they have another one ethnic dominated region, which is uh, Komi. 
And Komi is a little another story. It is uh, not that dense dominated territory, um, but but uh, they have a huge tradition of uh, absorbing the people who were prosecuted by the Soviet power because the first Soviet um, forced labor camps were built in that republic. What's the ethnic history in Komi? Komi is the nation, like they are, uh, they are a group of Finnish, of Finnish uh, people, like very interesting story. Uh, they have their own, like um, their own literature, their own legends, uh, pretty, pretty violent ones, like really, really, really dark ones sometimes about like hunters and and uh, forest ghosts, etc. But important is that um, they have been, so to say, they have been um, radicalized politically by Moscow because Moscow sent all the opposition from nation. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Republics from Ukraine, from, from, from uh, Lithuania, from Estonia, after World War II, they sent them to Kony first. So these nations, uh, Ukrainian nationalists, Estonian, Latvian, Lithuanian, who fought against Soviets, they were sent to come and they brought their, their views on political resistance with them. So that could be a very nice cut through the middle of Russia. And after that, other regions can follow. Now let us look at the Far East. 
And the four is, like you will see in Khabarovsk, uh, this is the orange-colored region, which covers like the Pacific coast of Russia. Uh, we also have there a very interesting situation. Like it is not ethnically very much different from, from, from Central Russia, but they had a lot of ethnic Ukrainians who were sent there by first by Tsars and then by Soviets into exile in order to control them. So this has a very interesting consequence, because as like a couple of years ago, Vladimir Putin has dismissed the governor who was very popular in that region. We had maybe one of the longest protest rally, rally in, in, in uh, Khabarovsk, like months long, like several months in a row, every single weekend, thousands of people in Khabarovsk came to the streets, unthinkable thing for Russia, and demanded the return of their government. Governor, they were not successful, no, but it showed the protest potential. And if we think into the history, we can remember that the only one armed resistance group against uh, Putin's police force, which is actually a very brutal police force, which is famous for uh, tortures, for rapes, for money extortions, even for extra uh, judiciary killings, the only armed group. Uh, was formed in Habarovsk. They were called like so-called Far East Partisans. It was a small group, but and they have been like cracked down after all that. It shows that the idea of armed resistance against Moscow power is present there until now. I imagine it has quite a small population. Does it have any resources? Does it have any, does it have any leaders that could take over? I mean, is it, is it actually a realistic prospect of surviving well, as a country? the leader is the question of opportunity. As soon as the opportunity to grab power appears, the leader appears naturally. It's like uh, Steve Jobs could not appear with his iPhone until the people were not ready uh, to buy it. Like, or he could try to appear, but we would have never known about him. Uh, so the leader is just a question of opportunity. And if you look at the region, uh, it's not only Khabarovsk, of course. It's also Primorsky Krai, uh, which is a bit to the south. Huge what is Jewish? Uh, Jewish is like, uh, there are no Jews there. Uh, it was like a very weird attempt by, there is indeed this dark uh, blue region of the Far East, uh, on the border to China. It is indeed so-called like Jewish Autonomic Republic. It is a very strange, uh, strange territory. It was uh, created by Stalin after World War II, as Stalin uh, has realized that he actually hates Jews. And he, I believe he always hated them. But after World War II, this hate reached like some unprecedented level. And he actually planned to exterminate Jews. Um, so like, do you say there are Jews in Jewish? Uh, they, they, they were, like, because this, this area was created in Soviet Union to be the place where all the Jews from European part of Russia who have not been killed uh, by Stalin, first by Hitler, then by Stalin, who had to be deported. And they even tried to deport Jews uh, to this Jewish Republic, uh, but, uh, and they lived some. But after the collapse of Soviet Union, like most Jews from that region, they either went to central Russia or immigrated to Israel or to the U.S. So it is like it's called Jewish Republic, but maybe you will have the like 
couple of dozen of Jews, like it's not Jewish at all. But the important thing is that this very region, they have a historical reason to be to be independent. Because if you think first, the Khabarovsk and the uh, Primorsk uh, regions, they entered Russian Empire in uh, like later 19th century, after a couple of treaties with China, after Russian victories over China. So they spent like from, it was like 1877 or about, until the Russian Revolution, 1917. Then they split and they have created so-called Far East Republic. And the Far East Republic existed as an independent state. Yes, they were controlled by the Soviets and it was like much more Maronite state, but they were independent formally until the 20s, when they have been conquered by the Soviets. So actually, 100 years ago, it was an independent state. As soon as Russian military and economic power will fail, uh, this forest region will unleash its independence movement. Uh, just think about it. If you go there, you will see no Russian-produced car. Maybe only police drives Russian-produced cars. Every single citizen drives a Japanese car. It is really weird to see, because like the the uh, the rules for the traffic traffic rules are for left left steered cars, but all the cars they drive are right wheel steered because they're from Japan, uh, and only police drives drives Russian produced cars. If you see that they had a history in nineties, early two thousand of protest against Moscow. They protested against the ban of like Japanese cars import for Russia because they understood it will hurt them. They protested against accession. They protested against like some laws on fishing, etc. So they really don't have much common with Russia, with Moscow. Where they go to vacation, they go to Thailand. They even don't fly through Moscow. They fly directly. It's very untypical in, in Russia, which is highly centralized to fly abroad from a region with a direct flight, not via Moscow. They fly directly. They have all the business contacts with Japan, now with China. Uh, they have like fishing industry, they have like uh, wood production industry, and they have a history of resistance. Do you want this to happen? Uh, yes, yes. Tell us why you think this would be a good thing for the world. It will be a very good thing for the world because Russia will be stripped of its imperial ambitions. It will not be a huge power anymore which can send strategic bombers to Venezuela or to like uh, assassin squads to London, etc. It will be one of the nations uh, which can be dealt on a diplomatic level without the situation where we deal on diplomatic parquets and after all Vladimir Putin says, okay, uh, we don't like the negotiations, but we have nukes, so just listen to us. So it will be a good thing. Not but sure. the best thing. What happens to the nukes in this scenario, by the way? I don't know if you have. Oh, I don't think that. that the nukes will be, will be a problem. The same what happened with the nukes uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Like. Uh, They're still there. The, like all the nations which had the nukes, they just gave them to Moscow because of economic preferences and some guarantees. Like for Ukraine, it was like bad bargain. 
after all, but uh, that time it wasn't a problem. If, if, you're, nukes, if you're splitting off in a hostile way from the Greater Russian Federation, I don't think it will be like weapons, splitting off in a hostile keep... way. And anyway, like like the nukes, they, they they are not like they're not located in all the regions. It's only a few regions. And anyway, as if the West could act fast and decisive, uh, we can like uh, take these nukes. Uh, peacefully uh, for the guarantees of military uh, support and, and economic support and recognition of the borders. And that's very clear. But it will be a very good thing, first of all, for Russians. So just imagine you are a 50 years old woman from Russian province, like don't even say like the, the ethnic dominated province when you are an ethnic woman who suffers from racism in Russia. But think about like Russian Russian woman from Yekaterinburg region. You're 50. Your son is like 21. He has just came from the army. He has no education. He has no job. And you have very bad job, like bad paid for. You get like a 200 US dollar or 300 US dollar a month, which is a very decent salary in the region of Russia. And then your son comes back and he says, Mom, I want to marry. And he marries. And what he does when he marries, he takes a huge credit for the wedding celebration because it's typical for provincial Russia. And he takes a credit for like $5,000 and your salary is 300 and he has no salary. Then he has a debt. Then the bank starts to call. Then uh, he calls to you one day and says, yeah, mom, I have a great, I, I have found a solution, great solution. I found a company, they need a person like me with army experience. I will go for six months to, to business trip to Syria and I will earn a lot of money and come back. And in two months, uh, you get an information that your son has killed in action. That is not uh, a fantasy. That is what happens to people in, in Russia. And why does it happen? It happens because the economy is ruined, because all the money goes from that region to Moscow and then to oligarchs. They suffer from uh, poverty, from incredible poverty, like when 22% of Russians don't have running water in their houses. And in province or in rural areas, it's up to 40%. And uh, they, the only way for them to make their careers is to participate in Russian imperialistic plans. So they live in poverty, and because of their poverty, they go to wars, and they die in these wars, and the circle continues. So if Russia will be split, there will be no such problem for them. The money will remain where they are being produced. No wars, no military spendings, no nuclear production like the, of the new nuclear bombs. No, Putin's policies. A little, bit, a little bit optimistic, maybe, Sergei. The breakup of a vast nation might have a little bit of problems if were it to happen. But let me just ask: Which of these eighty-five regions are you from originally? I'm from Moscow region. So you're not going to be. I'm part from Moscow of... suburb. I see. So you wouldn't you wouldn't be part of this new broken. Well, breakaway, uh, if uh, I were if I were uh, like nowadays a Russian who lives in Russia. Mm, uh, like my income would, would, would shrink, yes, because I believe that uh, the region which will suffer the most uh, will be central Russia against Moscow, uh, around Moscow. Because, for example, the north uh, western Russia around Petersburg, uh, they will find their ways to join the EU that way or another, maybe association, but they will find their way. Central Russia they will be very poor because they have bad climate, they have no natural resources. And they used to live in luxury. 
So that will be a shock for them. But I believe for any other region, it will be for better. And I believe it will be peaceful. Like, think about this, the collapse of the Soviet Union. Everyone believed it will be terrible, like Western Europe didn't want it, like only Germans wanted it because of reunification, but Margaret Thatcher was against, the French people were against, uh, like all Western Europeans were against it because, they, oh my God, it will be civil war without, uh, without end. And there were no, like we had like some, some clashes in, uh, in Tajikistan, but they started before the, uh, before the end of the Soviet Union, and we had like some wars like Transnistria or Abkhazia or others, but they were all wars where Russia participated. You see the difference? Like Russia remained too big. Russia remained an imperialist player. It was not the collapse of the Soviet Union. It was the uh, reduction of Soviet Union to the borders of Russia. The same imperialist uh, ambitions remained in Moscow. If now we will face the split of Russia into many states, uh, we, will, we will have the same as we had after the Soviet Union, but without this new, new Soviet Union in a smaller form. Like, have you ever heard about war conflict between Estonia and Latvia, or between Belarus and Lithuania, or between Ukraine and Moldova? No. The only conflict we had between two former republics in the Soviet Union which was really bloody, was Nagorno-Karabakh conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. And it was an exception because the borders of two regions, of two republics, were, for, were formed by, by, by the Soviet Union deliberately to create this conflict. Because Armenia had a part of Armenians in Azerbaijan, and the Azerbaijanis had a part of Azerbaijan's, Azerbaijanis in Armenia, and it was like a natural way for conflict. Now we don't have it. So the only power after the collapse of the Soviet Union, which could start the war, was Russia, and Russia started them. But it was not because of the collapse of the Soviet Union, it was because the idea of the Soviet Union was preserved in the way of thinking of Moscow rulers. Thank you so much, Sergei, for telling us about that. And happily, we can get you back in three or five years and we'll see whether the, any of this has actually happened. Thank you. I've already started to learn Tatar to be able to work in independent Tatarstan. So I hope uh, we will uh, drink a cup of tea in Kazan as the capital of uh, Tatarstan with embassies of European powers there. Very good. Thanks, Sergei. Thank you. Thank you to Sergei Sumleni, a journalist and political scientist based in Berlin, but born in Moscow. He was setting out an alternative future of what he thinks might happen in Russia after this conflict comes to an end. Instead of it expanding and taking on new territories, he thinks there could be a breakup of the Russian Federation, a completion of the process that happened at the end of the Soviet Union, which would see all sorts of states that we've never even heard of burgeoning into new independent nations. Who knows whether he's right or not, but here at Unheard, we like original ideas that you don't hear elsewhere to be given a chance. And as he said there, we will get him back in three to five years and we'll see if any of that has actually happened. Thank you for tuning in. This was Unheard. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs> 